good morning. Gosh, if you were here during the 9 a.m., they were very sleepy. You are already off to a better start. Thank you. Hey, uh, I got a couple of quick announcements for you. The ushers are coming down, the giving of our tithes and offerings. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, my name is Alex. Did I already say that? No, good. Hey, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, happy to be here with you today. On the way in, you might have grabbed this piece of paper. This is our September monthly. And uh, this has just got information about the things that are happening here at the church. It's 2023, which means you can also get this digitally, right, in your email inbox. And uh, I know, crazy thought, right? And there's ways you can uh, sign up for that on here. But there's one thing that's emphasized in this that I wanna take a minute to talk about. And uh, September 17th, which is just a couple weekends from now, around here we have this thing called For the City Weekend. And I wanna talk to you a little bit about what that is. Why do we have something called For the City Weekend? Well, we believe that God is for the city. And why we believe that is, well, one, because the Bible tells us that, but um, two is that cities are where people are. Not exclusively, but over 56% of the Earth's population lives in cities. It's estimated that in 20 years, 7 out of 10 of all the humans on the face of the Earth will live in cities. We believe that God cares for people, and therefore He cares for the cities. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Right, so... It's a fascinating reality when you look at the Bible because cities are almost always portrayed, at least early on, in a negative light. But there is a redemption to the city that happens throughout the Bible. Now, the city is also this inevitability of humanity. When God creates humans in the world, he creates them in his image to be creative. And lo and behold, one of the realities of humans as we come together is we build things and we shape culture and art and beauty. One of those things is a city. And so God, throughout the story of the Bible, is not just redeeming individual human beings, but he is redeeming people as a whole in all of creation, which includes redeeming cities. Now, there's a prophet. His name is Jonah. Now, you may be familiar with the story. Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish, right? You may be familiar with that part of his story, but you might not be familiar with the part as to why. Why did Jonah get swallowed up by this big fish? Well, it is precisely because God has called him as a prophet to go to a city called Nineveh and to preach repentance to them. And Jonah's like, nah, have you seen that city? They are broken and they are wicked and they are evil and I don't want anything to do with them and God says, you need to go anyways. Jonah runs away from the calling on his life to speak truth to that city and he gets swallowed up by a fish and then he ends up back in the city anyways, right? That's the story. Now, lo and behold, I don't even know if he does a good job preaching to the city, but a hunt, they all repent and turn around. Like great revival breaks out at the preaching of Jonah. And you would think he might be excited about that because there's 120,000 people in the city and instead he goes and he pouts about it. <laughs> Why? Well, because his own people, the people of God, Israel themselves, would not repent at the preaching of Jonah either or of any of the other prophets. And yet here we have this Gentile nation that's far away from God and seen as wicked and evil, and they completely turn around. And as he's having a pity party by himself, God speaks to Jonah and he says this, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. 
and also many animals. So hey, good news. God cares about your dogs and cats and pets as well. The great city of Nineveh had a larger population than the city of Beaverton. Let that sink in for a second. God is concerned with each and every human being in that city. And he is concerned with each and every human in ours as well. Jesus took his followers out of the city of Jerusalem and up onto a hill. And he said, what? You are a city on a hill. Paul said that we are a colony of heaven, that we are not in this world. Sorry, we are in this world, but we are of heaven. We are a different kind of people. So the question isn't whether we are for the city or not, but what city do we ultimately belong to? And if so, how will we share that good news with the rest of the world? This is what For the City Weekend is all about. It is the reality that God deeply loves people and he is on mission to rescue them. And so we have initiatives around here that meet real practical needs all over the world. And what we're gonna do and this weekend is we're gonna highlight those. We're gonna share some videos and tell some stories and we're gonna celebrate the things that God has been up to in our midst and will continue to be up to in the days to come. And after this big celebration, guess what? We have pancakes. So... Mark the day on your calendar, September 17th. We are excited for that. Okay, so today we are going to wrap up our teaching series on the miracles of Jesus, which means that the miracle wall, which has been in the commons, um, is gonna come down soon. So I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity today, go ahead and stop by and read some of the stories that people have written. One of the things that has moved my heart is to watch children write down the stories of the miracles that God has done in their life and proudly put them up on that wall for everyone to see. May we always be a church where that is the reality here. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's a, I need a bigger amen on that one. Thank you. Thank you. TJ, I'm glad you're right here, man. I'm going to need you today. <laughs> Okay, so we're wrapping up our miracle series. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Guy by the name of Luke, he's a doctor. He writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He says this in chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now Luke writes with an understanding that Jesus' work is not finished. Right? This introduction is like a post-credit scene to a movie, right? One part of the story is over, but there's a whole new one to be told, right? This is not the end of the miracles of Jesus. This is the beginning of something new, something fresh. Jesus' life and ministry are now not only going to flow through him to the world, but through his people by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus alluded to this many times in his own ministry. Remember to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again, not just born of water for the first time into the world, but born of the Spirit. John the Baptist said of Jesus that he baptizes with water, but one is coming whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie, who will baptize by the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus in John 14 said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. (laughs) Did you wake up this morning thinking that the miracles and works of Jesus would be on display greater in your life than in the time of Jesus? Probably not. These are the words of Jesus about his people, right? The works that Jesus has been doing, they have been proof, the evidence that he is of the kingdom of heaven, that he is who he says he is. The signs and the wonders are not random or haphazard. They are intentional and they validate who Jesus says he is, God in the flesh. This is one of the primary points. The signs of wonders is to give evidence to the reality of the kingdom of heaven that it is near. And Jesus says that those same works will be done through you too. Greater works? Like, how is that even possible? Now, first off, let me clarify this. This does not mean greater in power. There is no one here that is greater in power than Jesus. Amen? Right. But it does mean greater in reach. If you didn't include his own resurrection, the Gospels account for 37 miracles of Jesus. Now, John does have this caveat where he says, Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not even have enough room for the books that would be written. So clearly there were more things that Jesus did than the 37 that we are aware of. But Jesus still makes it clear that his followers are going to be filled with a power of the Holy Spirit and that there will be a work done in and through his people to confirm what he has said, which is the kingdom of heaven is near, it is at hand. The power of the Holy Spirit wouldn't be localized through Jesus alone. In John 14, verse 16, I will ask my Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Last week, Steve Mickle, our district supervisor, he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the indwelling and empowering of God himself inside of you. Think about this, the same breath of God that created the universe resides inside of you. The invitation of Jesus is to come to him, to be forgiven, to be reconciled back to him, cleansed of all your sins, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that if you call yourself a Christian, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Right, a temple is a point when heaven and earth meet. It's like this nexus point, it's a holy space, only we don't have to go someplace holy. Hear me on this. This is the revolutionary teaching of the New Testament. Holy has come and made home among us. You only need to look skin deep. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you, church. Amen. Josh White once wrote these lyrics, and how can I contain you when you contain everything? The house of my soul is far too small. And yet, this beautiful mystery is somehow true. His life, his love, and his power flow through you. The same works of Jesus can and will flow through your lives too. About 10 years ago, I had a mentor in my life who told me that his most consistent prayer for his children was that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And at the time, again, this is pre-kids, so I had no idea how to pray for my own kids. I thought that's kind of an odd thing to say. I can think of a lot of other things that I would be praying for for my kids. Just confession moment. This is kind of dumb of me. As I started to have my own children, one of the things I started to realize was how right he was. And the reason why is because God wants so much more for us than just keeping a set of rules and regulations to move through religious customs and rituals. The gift of his very power and presence, the Holy Spirit, is so that you and I can actually walk with and experience God in everything. That is his desire for you. All of what we do, the sort of rituals and customs and things that we do, they point to the deeper reality that God longs to be with you, to walk with you, to guide you and shape you. And I will tell you, there is no greater prayer to pray over your children than that. And there is no greater thing than to walk with God through your life. Life with the Holy Spirit is life with God. And it is so important we don't miss this. Moses was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he had that experience, he longed that all of God's people would also be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because God called him his friend. God said of Moses that he spoke to him face to face. And it is true that the creator and king of the universe also wants to be your friend. I have a friend who calls this Christianity in the wild. (laughs) Now, his point is not that we are wild or crazy, but our faith extends outside the safe confines of our carefully curated Christian experiences. That our faith is out in the open, wide world the same way that Jesus is. So do you know what this means? As we come to the conclusion of our miracle series, this is what this means. You are a miracle. You are a miracle. Very divine God himself resides inside of you. It is the greatest miracle. Now, this is precisely what we will read about today. The early church will discover just how miraculous their life together as members of the new family of God is. And in doing so, we have the opportunity, a chance, and probably a pivotal time in the life of our church to discover or maybe rediscover the same thing, how God shows up in our midst and the power of God worked in and through our lives to the world around us. So back to Acts chapter one, we're gonna pick this up in verse three. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is risen from the dead. He spent 40 days with his people, appearing to them and teaching them about the kingdom of God. He ascends to heaven and essentially says this, your story is not over. It is just getting started. Wait and pray. (laughs) Isn't that interesting that in this pivotal moment of transition and their story, Jesus is not like, now go take the hill. He's like, now go wait and pray. It's sort of the antithesis of what we might think is the right first step. And yet, what we see here in this transition is this, that this is not the end of the miracles of Jesus. 
It is the beginning of an entirely new chapter. They wait, they gather together, and they pray. This is an anticipation of the arrival of the Holy Spirit to fall in a fresh way. The best is still yet to come for the church. Now, I want you to understand that waiting is not a passive action. They are actually commanded to pray. What is prayer? It is to engage with God and interact with the spiritual dimension of reality, right? They are taking ground, in a sense, as they gather, as they wait for the Lord to move, and as they pray. Now, while this is not the end of this is the end of this teaching series. It is also not the end of the miracles that are happening here at B4. As Steve Mickle, who's our district supervisor, said last week, as we near the end of a transition season, um, the best is still yet to come. And as we wait and gather and pray, we anticipate that the Holy Spirit will fall in a new and fresh way, not for the first time, but again. And while we can't see all that God is up to while we wait, we know that our prayers are not in vain. Amen? So let's look at what the book of Acts says about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Just go ahead and turn the page and you will be there. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Skip down to verse 11. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I'm gonna put a picture up that I found on the interwebs, the internet. It is a map that somebody has made and done a very good job. Now, around this time, one of the things that would happen around Passover is that people from all over the Roman Empire would take a pilgrimage back to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Um, now, they typically would stay because Pentecost was another celebration that would come after that. And if you're gonna travel from that far and you don't have a car, you might as well stay for a while, am I right? So the city of Jerusalem is packed full of people from all over the world. Now, there's a common faith that draws them here. That's important to understand. Whether they were um, Hebrew people or whether they were converts to the beliefs of the Hebrew people, there is this common faith that draws them together, that Yahweh, the creator of the heaven and earth, there is no other God besides him. And so they are drawn to Jerusalem, um, both to celebrate the Passover, to be with family and friends from their own heritage, but also to celebrate Pentecost. Now, it's really, really interesting when you look at this picture and you see that there is no way that all of these people that are coming to Jerusalem think the exact same, speak the exact same language. They come from different cities, different regions. They would look different. They would eat differently. Like there was differences amongst them. And the first act of the Holy Spirit to the early church is to unite people that are different, to bring them together. And listen how careful and loving God is. He allows these early church people to hear the gospel proclaimed in their native tongue. It is the sweetest sound to each person. 
that God has arrived in the person of Jesus, the one that they have longed for and arrived in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. They are hearing the gospel pro- proclaimed and what is happening is people who are different are drawn together in unity. And that group of people make up the new family of God. Every nation under heaven is the word that Luke uses. And by the way, this is a miracle. (laughs) As we look into the next year in our country, right, we can already anticipate polarization, right? It's It's an election year, if you didn't know. We can already anticipate that we're not going to think the same and see the same, and we're going to argue, and all of these things will happen because that is what happens in our world. And yet, what a miracle it is when the people of God can come together in unity. What a miracle it is when we can put aside our differences and we can come together under Jesus. And so this community of faith, and we'll talk about this later, is they are literally an exhibit to the world of what the unity of the Spirit can do. They form a new family, and it's a miracle. In Ephesians 2, Paul says God's purpose in reconciling us back to himself was to create in himself one new humanity out of a previously divided people. He says that that makes us fellow citizens of his kingdom and, get this, members of his household. That is familial language, and it is used throughout the entire New Testament. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of God's family, which makes all of us brothers and sisters. This is a miracle. Now, much of the New Testament will focus on how we live together in that new family, because unity must be contended for. It's not easy work. But as we do, what God does is he begins to heal the old wounds that divided us, and we get to be a people who live in a grace-saturated recovery And it is something new, but it is together. So after this series of events, Luke summarizes what this new family's life looks like together. Skip down to verse 42, Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There is a commitment to a life built around spiritual practices not spiritual practices fit within a life. This is not semantics, all right? This is an intentional ordering of priority. It's important to understand that the church saw themselves, their lives oriented around who God is and who God says they are. It is not for them just to fit in reading their Bibles or you know, coming to the church gatherings as just a part of their life. It defined their life. These are not just segments of their life. This is the very foundation, the building blocks of who they are. What are these building blocks? Well, Luke summarizes them in four marks. And he says the first is the apostles' teaching. Now, what is that? Well, if you remember, in Matthew 28, Jesus said in the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations and do what? Teach them to obey everything that he has commanded. So the apostles are teaching the teachings of Jesus. This is the reality of their teaching life. And it's not just to fill them with more information because we all know more information does not lead to transformation. He's teaching them to, they are teaching the people of God how to follow Jesus. It is informational and it is practical all in the same, right? In the words of Paul, we need to be renewed by our minds. Transformation 
The change of how we think can only be done by the truth of Jesus. And as we are changed by Jesus, you know what changes first and foremost? Our desires. It's important we understand that transformation needs to change your desires before it changes your behaviors. Let me put it in this way. It's not just that you need to eat your broccoli because you have to, (laughs) but that you eat your broccoli because you want to. Your desires change because you recognize that it is nourishment for you, it is healing, it brings you health, and ultimately it is good. What we are craving for here is not just a change in behavior, that will come, but a change in the very desires that shape our behavior in the first place. Why? Well, because we mimic what we desire. It's called mimetic desire. And here's the reality. You can either uncritically mimic what you see in the world or you can imitate Christ. You will be shaped by something or someone or you will be shaped by Christ. There is no option C. And so what the invitation of this early church was and the invitation of Jesus is to be transformed, to have your very desires shaped and renewed to be like Jesus. Now, The next thing is fellowship. What a churchy word, right? Fellowship. What does that even mean? Well, for a long time, if you drove by Beaverton Foursquare, on Walker Road, there was a sign. And in very small letters that you could miss really easily if you drove too fast, it said, Spirit-Filled Fellowship. What is that? Well, honestly, Spirit-Filled Fellowship is what we're talking about here. It's when the Holy Spirit empowers his people and they do something called life together. That is, after all, what fellowship means. The Greek word is koinonia, and it means fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation. In other words, these people, (laughs) they participated in each other's lives intentionally. They, They showed up. They were present, right? Their Christianity wasn't something they attended or consumed. It was something they participated in because this is how the family of God operates. And you know what fellowship always leads to? Food. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Breaking of bread. (laughs) Meals together. One of the things I love about Jesus is he absolutely loved to eat. Amen? Amen. Even after he's resurrected and like he doesn't even need it for sustenance, he's like, cook me up some food. Ghosts don't eat food. It's like, okay. He loves to eat. And why? Because three times a day, maybe five if you're me, (laughs) we sit around food and we share our lives together. I think Jesus loved to eat, created food, enjoys it, but he also loves you. And he knows at least three times a day you're going to be sitting around a table. And that is where life is experienced together, is the table. And so again, it's one of these priorities. There's all sorts of things about fellowship in the community of faith. But one of them is we actually spend time together. We actually share a meal together. Some of my greatest memories in life are sitting around a table with that deep belly laugh and that feeling like I'm full. Anyone with me? Those are some of the greatest things the holiday, Thanksgiving, dinner, whatever, right? Like, there is something that happens around a meal that is vital and important 
And it's obviously so important that Luke includes it in as a cornerstone of how the church gathers together. Now, I also understand that there's a deeper meaning here, the Eucharist, communion, that every meal that the community of faith shares together is centered around the life and death of Jesus. And so soon, in a few minutes, we will also break bread together by taking communion. But I want to talk about prayer and, and finish the rest of this section of Acts. Um, as we talked about earlier, uh, this community of faith, we as followers of Jesus, we are a heaven meets earth community, right? This is the power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to engage the world. And one of the things that God has given us is prayer. Prayer to engage the spiritual world. And here's the thing about um, prayer is that it actually does something. It actually changes reality. And one of the commands of the church is that we would always be a people steadfastly dedicated to prayer. It doesn't matter who is up here or what part of this story of B4, prayer will always be a marker of what it means to be the people of God. May we be committed to prayer. Now, the summary of this ends um, this way. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Signs and wonders, miracles. Remember the subtitle of the series, Then and Now. Church, you are the vehicle in which God chooses by the power of his Holy Spirit to do miracles through to, just like in this early church, to confirm the work of Jesus, to be a display, a witness to the world around them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Together, they shared life. You know that there's purpose and responsibility. I know it's a common idea, and I've unfortunately fell into the same thought. Like, if I could just get all of my, done with all of my responsibilities for a day, then I could just have time to myself, Right? But you know that the truest joy in life is when we don't live for ourselves, but for the good of others? By the way, this is what Paul says in Philippians 2, we ought to do in our life together, which is have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. One of the practical ways this works out is this church met each other's needs. Now, one of the things they realize is that life is not found in the excess of stuff opportunities, climbing the ladder. True joy is not going to be found in those things. It will be found in the expression of generosity towards one another. Which, by the way, is also like Jesus. Am I right? Philippians 2 also says he left heaven to come down to earth. He set aside all the comforts and all the privileges of his godness to be in human flesh so that we could have life. And what does he say? You do the same for people. <laughs> have that same attitude, that same mindset with one another. And how did that work out in the early church? Well, if they had extra stuff, they sold it. And they made sure that there was nobody that had need in their community. Also, but by the way, it's not limited to financial, um, financial things or possessions. It's also your experience, your expertise, your knowledge. 
This last week, I, I hit a wall. I had tried everything that my experience, my expertise, every connection that I thought I had used to open the door for something that in my life, the door needed to be open. We had somebody in my family who was struggling with something and we needed help. And I hit dead end after dead end after dead end. And I honestly didn't know what to do. And then I was like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm preaching on this this weekend. <laughs> Call the church, help. I need prayer. I need connections. I need you to help me open a door. And lo and behold, the miracle of Jesus happened and the door is opened and peace of God floods into my life. See, it doesn't just have to be stuff. You are the greatest gift, right? Like, think about this. The New Testament picture of the church is that we are a body. We are interdependent on each other. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come to give one person a sermon for all of you to listen to. The New Testament teaches that the Holy Spirit has given you all gifts that you would use to build up and edify the church, to strengthen each other. Like, not just when you show up on a Sunday do you have something to do, but every single, this is not just a Sunday community. This is a 365 days a year, seven days a week kind of people, <laughs> You have something to give to build each other up and this is simply just putting that, that when that happens, the Lord adds to their number daily those that are being saved. There's something about the good news of a community that actually looks like Jesus. Crazy idea, I know. Right, like we think like, okay, we think that, okay, they have to be preaching on street corners, they have to condemn them for their sin, they have to tell them what they're doing wrong so that they know Jesus. But really the summary here is that they are living like Jesus together and God is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. We desperately wanna see revival burst out into our world. Perhaps those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we lived as that community, this city would radically change. Amen? Amen. So let's have a meal together. Well, maybe not a full meal. We can do that later. But why don't you pull out the communion elements? It's hard for me not to look at this and call it COVID communion because, well, you know. <laughs> but why don't you open the cracker, the bread, We've sat under the teachings of Jesus. We've had fellowship here together today. We've prayed. But now it's time to break bread together. Um, we often come to communion in such a solemn way, reflective and maybe contrite. And those are good things. But I want to try something different today. I want to take the bread and the cup with glad and sincere hearts. A smile for the gratitude that we have for Jesus. As we hold this bread with glad and sincere hearts, what it reminds me of is that Jesus shows up. This is to symbolize the body of Jesus, his actual physical body. We've talked about this already today, but he shows up. He doesn't have to, he chooses to. And if he showed up once, to rescue us from our sins, to die on the cross, he's gonna show up in your life too. Because that is who he is. He is the God that enters into your story. So with gratitude, can we take the bread together? Now flip your COVID communion upside down and be careful when you open it. 
the cup here for me. Jesus died for your sins. It's a phrase I heard a lot growing up. And it's a powerful phrase, if you understand it. But it's one that can lose its power. Not because it lacks power, but because we become familiar with it, maybe don't fully understand it. But what we hold in our hands is symbolic. Jesus took the punishment that you deserved after doing nothing wrong and not deserving it so that he could experience what you deserve and we could experience what he deserves, which is life eternally and forever, to be made whole, to be brought back to God. As you look at this little cup, remember that it is the blood of Christ that reconciles us to God and draws us together to be a part of his new family. So it's with gratitude and thanksgiving we take the cup. We take the cup with me. We're gonna take a moment to respond now by singing. And it's a song about the arrival of the Holy Spirit of God. And may the word today bring fresh insight to mind as we gather and we worship. And may the Spirit of God fall fresh upon us.
Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you need prayer for anything today, yeah, woo, we can give a woo. That's amazing. Hey, if you need prayer for anything at all today, we're going to have our prayer team up front. We'd love to pray with you. If you're looking for ways to get connected here, there's an info center. Some of my friends are hanging out over there. Go ahead and talk to them. But I'd love to pray a blessing over you today. And if you'd like to receive it, all you simply need to do is open your hands. Church, may you be a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, God's power and his peace and his presence. May you be a people that are committed to one another, to serving each other, to building one another up, and to helping each other. And may miracles and signs and wonders flow through you to the world around you, that the Lord may add to our number daily those who are being saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. You have a great week.